Ready? Go. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Hang on! It's off the chart spectacular. Go, go, go! Tom Cruise has outdone himself. The world's coming after you. Stay out of my way. Prepare for one of the best action movies ever made. This is getting exciting. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. What's up? Welcome to Barton and Bud. I'm Barton Simmons with Bud Elliott here, and it's Sunday night. Whenever you're listening to it, we are talking on Sunday night right in the midst of USC just putting it on Washington State. Uh, So, I don't know. Maybe someone's going to start trying to convince me USC is a playoff participant. Um, We'll see if we get there, but first, Bud, uh, we may as well talk about the actual real playoff candidates. Um, Big Ten's trying to get one in, it sounds like. All right, I'm just going to lay this out here. This whole season is, is sort of an orchestrated process to have stuff happen. Like, let's have games. Let's have these games. I I am 100% here for the Big Ten rigging its rules to put Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game. A, they're the best team in the league. B, they beat the only other team in their division that should, you know, maybe have a claim to it if Ohio State wasn't eligible. C, I, I don't really care if they're going against their own rules that they just set two months ago. It's not like this is some long-standing Big Ten rule, leaders in the legends and all this other crap. Like, guys, you've had this rule for eight weeks. If you had more pandemic stuff than you anticipated, you just adapt to it. The SEC basically rigged their schedule to put Bama and Georgia in the SEC championship game, given you know, Georgia, Arkansas, and Mississippi State from the West when they thought both those teams would be terrible and they gave Bama, what, Missouri and Kentucky, I think, as, as their two add-ons from the East, and and that almost worked. And the ACC just hit fast forward on its season and said, all right, Clemson, Notre Dame, you're off next week. <laughs> you're in the title game. And Miami's like, wait, what? What We're, we're doing that? So I, I, I don't know, all these people saying this is not ethical or all this other stuff. I don't care. I don't want to see Northwestern – Indiana in the Big Ten title game. I want to see Justin Fields. I think they're probably one of the four best teams in the country, and I really don't have a problem with, with this process in this money grab of the season being tweaked a little bit to make sure they're still playing in the title game. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm with you. I'm not. A, I'm not here for the belly aching about the Big Ten rigging this thing because we're. It's a pandemic. We're playing the season. We're getting through this thing as best we all know how. And the the ultimate goal at the end of the day is to get the four best teams in the country in, in, in the country in the playoffs. If it's clear that Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten, which it is, then who cares? None of it matters. Let's just figure out how to get Ohio State out of the Big Ten. Now, if it wasn't clear, then we need to 
talk about it. But Ohio State, you know, they they beat Indiana, and Indiana just beat Wisconsin this weekend. Um, this past weekend against Michigan State, with all kinds of guys out with COVID, they absolutely stomped Michigan State. Um, there is not an argument that there's a team that 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 anyone would perceive as better than Ohio State in the Big Ten. I won't hear it, and so let's just stop. Let's stop the charade. Let's get, let's just let's just get the best teams in. All right. So from talking about games that didn't get played to talking about a game that did get played, I I kind of got caught up in the moment. I really just loved the sort of like collegiate feel of this one and the the cool contrasting styles, and and I loved how they threw it together. You know, it on seventy two hours notice and had to have the equipment truck drive across country, you know, across the country overnight and 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 get it all set up. And you know, it, looking back on it. The, the gameplay wasn't always great. It did look like this this game got set up 72 hours before, but I, man, BYU Coastal was fun. Like you had contrasting styles. You had a fight before the halftime because they body slammed uh, Zach Wilson, the BYU quarterback. Uh, so I, I know you watched it. I listened to Cover Three. I, I know you enjoyed it. I, I I liked it. I think a little more than you did, but I, I was wrong in saying it was a game of the year. Clearly, Notre Dame Clemson was that. Do you think BYU wins this if this is like a game that they have circled on their schedule, like a regular game, not a 72-hour prep? And, and it, it makes me ask that because you, you mentioned this word the other day and you said, we were talking about Vanderbilt, and you said regardless of what they do, they do need to have an offense that's a quote-unquote special prep, meaning something that's not just a little tweak to the normal process, but like outside the box. So I'm going to throw that at you. Coastal runs some weird stuff on offense. We, we've talked about them all year. Do you think BYU wins that game? if they have regular prep and and does this demonstrate your concept of a special prep offense? So I would say, yes, if they have a full week or a full um, kind of opportunity to prep then yeah, I I think BYU would win. So the answer, I guess would be no, they wouldn't win. Wouldn't lose. Uh, Sorry. I think though, I'm, I I wonder why you're asking it because I I will, I, I make this distinction here in that like, while I think that probably BYU wins if they have a full week to prep, and I'm and I'm not even going to try to say that to like take away from Coastal's Coastal's win because they didn't have a full week to prep. Neither did Coastal. Coastal 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 won the game. They deserve the win. I'm taking nothing away from them. But as it relates to like the rest of college football and where BYU fits in and where Coastal fits in, I don't think it. I don't think it really matters. Like that was sort of a toss-up game that Coastal won. And and so that's that. We learned, in my opinion, that neither of those teams are sort of playoff contender worthy. And if BYU was playoff contender worthy, then I think that it shouldn't matter whether they have a full week of prep, even for a kind of a unique offense like Coastal Carolina. So... I don't know. Is that where you're at with it? Because I, I as much as, as fun as that game was, I'm still not ready to say that like, um, man, you know, if BYU had gotten an opportunity full seven days in, then I think we would have seen how good this team really is. Well, so I, I, I really don't think BYU is a playoff team. And, and I don't think if they had won that game, they should have been a playoff team. And they, they, they're, they're a pretty damn good football team, but they played the 91st ranked schedule in, in, in the country. We just don't see teams make the playoff if you're if you have the 91st ranked schedule. I my, my whole thought in just putting this in, in the intro segment was 
basically, I, I thought just this demonstrated the concept of if you are an undermanned team and at athlete wise, I do think Coastal's a little bit undermanned relative to BYU normally, uh, then doing something different can really give you a big time advantage. And it, it did strike me that you have Coastal winning a bigger game than South Carolina's won in several years with Jamie Chadwell, uh, winning this ball game on the same night that South Carolina announces Shane Beamer and, and just thinking about how, if you're an underdog program and, and like how you should try to do things a little bit differently and take advantage of a market inefficiency, not to say you don't want to recruit well, not, not to say you don't want to play hard and, and get you know bigger, faster, stronger athletes, but man, they just do things. That offense had BYU off balance for so long Saturday night. It, it I mean, in, in the second half, they got a couple stops, but for the most part, South Carolina, or Coastal Carolina, they weren't hitting these explosive plays, but their success rate was really good relative to what people usually do against BYU. And they just, they just, they, they were finding gaps. They were creasing them. And, and BYU was just a, you know, a, a step wrong here. They, you know, a, a, a wrong arm here, a little bit wrong technique there. I, I thought it was just an interesting illustration of that concept you were talking about with, with the special prep. Yeah. I think, look, the, the thing about Coastal that's special, because we have we have praised their offense all year long, and it is unique, and it's fun, and it's cool, but I, I really think what makes that team special is the way they play. You talked about it a little bit. I mean, those guys just – they play hard. They play for each other. That's why that team is is fun. That That's – they're not going to play for a national championship. They're not going to play in the college football playoffs, but – they're in the college football player in America that has had more fun than the guys on that roster this year. And it's, this is, this is a, this is a cool season to watch from that perspective. By the way, the, the guy who was absolutely wrecking everything for BYU's offense last night, Jeffrey Gunter. Uh, so he, he actually uh, was a two-star for us in high school, uh, 225 pounds, six, four defensive end, uh, quite a bit smaller than, than, than he is now, obviously. He was uh, all Sun Belt in 2018. He transfers to NC State. I'm not really sure on, on what happened here exactly, but he transfers to NC State in 2019. I, I got a DM from one of the coastal coaches over the summer when we, we were doing our transfer ratings and was like, hey, like this kid's really legit. Don't forget that he was all Sun Belt in 2018 because he transferred back to coastal hmm. for this season. Like, imagine what that defense looks like if they don't have Gunter. I mean, he had. Not only did, did he start the fight at halftime, but he also had, what, four or five tackles for loss? He was all over the place. You know, I was just thinking, um, so as you were talking about these transfers, you know, Brock, Brock Hoffman is the starting center for Virginia Tech, who was a transfer from Coastal Carolina and – you know, I actually transferred last year and was forced to sit out in the in the five nine guy for for the five nine offensive line for Coastal. Did he play center? Yeah, yeah, f- five nine two ninety something. And, and, and the the broadcast crew seemed to think that he was uh, he was generous generously listed at five nine. So that's a fire hydrant, dude. Yeah, that, that's interesting, and no no doubt. And and but that's still really interesting to me that like as good as Coastal is and as as effective as that little five nine spark plug is. You know, Brock Hoffman is a really high-end ACC player that could be on that on that unit right now if he hadn't transferred out. So they're doing something right there in terms of talent identification. 
They, they, they really are. Uh, shout out uh, Matt Pierce there is one of their top personnel guys. Just something I've noticed, I, I think he does a good job, and I have ways of kind of tracking stuff on Twitter, wh- which coaches are following who and when, and uh, I go back and look at like who followed who first. If you scroll back, like deep in a lot of the, these guys who become superstars or stars timelines, Pierce is one of the first dudes following these guys. So interesting there. And I hope you don't mind me saying that because now everybody else is going to start scouting his follows. Um, That's right. <laughs> all right. So let's let's stay in, in the state of South Carolina from, from Myrtle Beach, Conway uh, to – well, first, oh, breaking news here. We have to talk quickly about uh, Tom Herman in Texas, except we already did that last uh, last show. If you want to hear us talk about Urban Meyer uh, and the Texas job and should they fire Tom Herman – uh, if they can't get Urban Meyer, we talked about that for like 15 minutes on our December 2nd episode. But Barton tonight, Horns 24-7, reporting that the Urban Meyer to Texas deal looks like it is not going to happen. Yeah, and I, I, I got to say, like we, t- we, t- you know, we talked about this before, but um, I'm not even like a Tom Herman necessarily like defender, believer, whatever, but I, I don't really – if you're not going to get Urban – that just does not feel like the the move to make in terms of firing Tom Herman. Um, so I don't know. Fortunate for Tom Herman that he put up a big number on Kansas State over the weekend. Maybe it's a little bit more of a welcoming environment for him to stick around. But I, I bet you he's back. I bet you he's back next year. I I think he is going to be too. And unless they have some kind of ace up their sleeve that that I don't know about, I I think he should be back probably. I mean they're going to go what seven and three. Okay. I mean, that, that's, that's not that bad. Um, so, so Matt, Matt Campbell, James Franklin, Mario Cristobal, um, you know, like there, there's just, there's just so like, I think this is a pretty good field of like group of five coordinator candidates for that, like kind of lower tier, mid tier power five job. I don't know. This doesn't, I don't feel like this is a, this is a cycle that's like teeming with big, like big job candidates. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's like that every year and I'm just not, you know, I'm not giving enough credit, but it doesn't feel like if you got one of the, one of the premier jobs coming open, I don't know. Do you feel like that there's a lot of those, I guess Matt Campbell would be one. I don't know if Luke would Luke Fickle be in that in that candidacy. James Franklin is typically a good candidate for that, but he's he's a, you know he's experienced a down year this year. Are, are any of these guys a better fit for Texas as candidates than Tom Herman was as a candidate? I I don't think so. I mean, we, we discussed this briefly on, on last show, but sure, you, you can pitch me on on, on Cristobal and and his recruiting is he really knows how to play the recruiting game and. He's a very good recruiter. He wants to build a program, and, and he is absolutely a resource hound and somebody who wants to maximize a program that has elite-level resources like Texas does. Um, he also, and it's a small sample as a head coach, so, but you know, it, it's a growing sample of kind of questionable game management. Talk about Texas fans don't like Tom Herman losing to teams they don't feel they should lose to. Uh, ask, ask Oregon fans about that. Right now, after they lost to Cal yesterday, after they lost to uh, what Oregon State two weeks ago. I mean, two teams that 
Oregon just doesn't feel like it should be losing to at this stage of the game. That's the exact same thing here we hear from Texas fans. Matt Campbell, we don't know if he can recruit at the, at the highest of level. Is he willing to play that game that we both know it takes to play at the super elite recruiting level? Can he handle the spotlight? Right? There's a lot more people you got to answer to in Austin, Texas than there is in, in Ames, Iowa. Just that it's a different game. Franklin, I have no doubt would do well there, but you're right. It's it's a tough sell given the year Penn State is having. So man, I I I don't know. Like I, I think I would probably sit tight. Um one school that did not sit. Or wait, would you sit tight before, before we go on to Beamer? Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, let's 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 move on to the the hot topic. This this, this is hot. This is the new hotness. So we we have Shane Beamer is the new head coach of South Carolina. Current, uh, what? Sorry, I, I just I just botched that. They get him from Oklahoma. He was uh, the special teams coordinator and linebackers coach, uh, ace recruiter, tight ends at no no sorry at South Carolina. Yeah, t- tight ends at Oklahoma. Oh, oh gotcha, gotcha. Um, Gotcha. Sorry. So they said that they were not going to go with another defensive hire, and they, I guess, kept their word because they went and got a special teams and tight ends coordinator. Um, Technically, he's an <laughs> offensive guy, I guess. He's been, yeah. Okay, we said we were going to play the game, and we were going to rank. We were going to rank guys by saying, "Okay, no doubt." Okay, yep, or okay, sure, whatever. And then I don't get it. As opposed to going letter grades on coaches, because we realize the letter grades are pretty pretty inaccurate. Top of your head here, is Shane Beamer. A no doubt. Is he an okay fine, or is he an I don't get it? You go first. This is tough because I, I've read all of our stuff on the Big Spur, and and they've justified it quite a lot. Okay, well, so all right, all right, uh, okay. Well, if I didn't know the justifications, no, you do know the justifications, right? So so it's okay. You're informed. I'll say I'll say oh, okay, sure. Okay. I, I I'm a I'm an I don't get it, but I would I'd like to okay. hear um I'd like to hear your okay sure uh line of reasoning. I, I think the the I don't get it thing is I, I just want to kind of save that for when no, I can't do it. I'm just gonna say I I don't get it on this one either. You're <laughs> right. I, I was trying I was trying to, to be nice and 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 not be negative. Could I see it working out? Yeah. Does this choice make a whole lot of sense? I I don't know, man. It he knows boosters and has the support of former players there. But my thought is South Carolina got turned down by a lot of other candidates here. And I that's not the, have a hard time believing. Now the big spur, our our site, our 24-7 sports South Carolina site has done a fantastic job reporting this. That's not the picture they're painting. The picture they're painting is that this was, and and I don't really necessarily think that this is sort of uh, revisionist history because they've been popping Beamer up there from the start. The way they're painting it is that Beamer pushed for the job. He kind of like elbowed his way to the front of the line and and that he made a strong impression and that you know, no one because because hey, look, Sam Pittman got the Arkansas job because everybody turned them down, and and Sam Pittman was the last guy at right. the party. Jeremy Pruitt got the Tennessee job because everybody turned him down. Yeah, and I I don't know that that's the case with Shane Beamer. So here's here's where I'm at. All right, I don't get it, but again, I'm not 
I don't get it. But I don't want to be a hypocrite here because I've been pounding my chest about like this really like I didn't like the idea with South Carolina approach this process of we don't want a defensive guy. We want an offensive guy. Uh, I feel like that that is is sort of marginalizing coaches and 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 putting them into these boxes. And and in reality, being a head coach is a skill set in and of itself, right? And your ability to call plays, to you know, scheme like that's great, and it's kind of a bonus, but that's not the same traits that make you a great coach. If you have both. If you are the great coach traits, great head coach traits, and you are the great scheme trait and great coordinator trait, and you can you can get the the bandwidth to merge those two things together, then fantastic. Like you're a home run. But most guys don't. And so it's either you, you know, you have the head coach side of it or you don't. And so I'm not gonna sit here and say, you know, I think that's a mistake to rule people out based on playing, you know, just being defensive guys, or I'm, I'm not going to say that, you know what, like what their product, how many yards per game they allow or how many yards per day they produce is, is not going to be a perfect indicator of how they are as head coach and then dismiss somebody that comes in. That's, that's not a, a an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator like Shane Beamer. You know, his resume is, is underwhelming to me, but I I do think like I'm going to give South Carolina the benefit of the doubt here. He clearly walked into those meetings in those rooms with a plan, those Zoom meetings with a plan, with a vision, and was able to articulate it to a degree in which he was very impressive. Like that's had to have been the case, right? And there is a groundswell of support from South Carolina people and players and. Those people know Shane Beamer in a way that I don't. And so who am I to tell those people they don't know what they're talking about? I can't remember if I mentioned it on Barton and Bud, but uh, the current head coach at Yale is is named guy, guy named Tony Reno, who was my defensive backs coach, who uh, coached Yale a little longer after I left, then went to Harvard, coached a while there, and then got hired as the head coach at Yale. Never, never once was he an, a coordinator. Um, in fact, he was a wide receivers coach when I first arrived at Yale and was DB's coach by the time I finished. So he's bounced around. But the reason he got hired at Yale is because of the groundswell of support from players who knew this guy was organized, this guy was committed, this guy was, um, you know, had the right energy, and, and he's been a hit. And so I am going to be optimistic about this for South Carolina while acknowledging nothing that I know personally gives me any reason to believe in this. I just got to trust you. And I think that's part of the problem here is like Ray Tanner hasn't exactly given us reason to trust him because the last hire was Will Muschamp. But th- there is no reason yet. He's also in a class of these ADs that like these former coach turned ADs at Power 5 programs with no actual AD experience. Their track record is pretty bad. Like Phil Fulmer also fits into this, giving giving Jeremy Pruitt an you know, extension for no reason, right? Like, so sorry, I, I just I popped them ahead with the Tanner thing. No, I mean I was done. So yeah, I was done. I, I agree. He wants the job, and I think that very much resonates with South Carolina people. If if we're going to assume that he was their top target, and I am very skeptical about this, I do think it's safe 
to also bring up the idea that like, I think sometimes fans and boosters and, and power players of these teams fall in love with a guy who really wants the job, right? And that, like, oh, I, I want this job. I know this job. Like, this is the job for me. And that's great, and you need to have that. But I, I don't think that that can be your number one selling point. B- Bill Stewart really wanted the West Virginia job when he took over for Rich Rod, and then ultimately it kind of fell apart on him. We, we, we've seen this multiple places. The guy who really wants the job, I, I love this place, and it's like, you got to have more than just love for this place and, and you know, that being able to, to tell them why you think this place can be good. And I think one of his major selling points, and this is something I dug into, into for tonight, was the recruiting he did when he was at South Carolina for four years. So he coached South Carolina 27 to 2010. So their recruiting classes that he was responsible for in large part, he was, one, he was a good recruiter for them, 2008 to 2010 or excuse me, 2008, 2011 classes. So they averaged a recruiting ranking of 25th in those four years. And those classes turned out to be, have some really good players in them. And most of those guys who, who were good were, were highly rated. You know, Jadavion Clowney and Melvin Ingram and Connor Shaw and, and you know, guys that helped them. They even won an SEC East title with, with, with those players and, and uh, they got stopped by Auburn. But let's, let's focus on the positive here. So I, I, I kind of wanted to, to set the table and, and wonder, like, if this is one of the main things that you're basing this higher on, his recruiting success and the players that he got to, to sign with him when he was there, is this repeatable? And I, I found something here. I don't know that I expected to find this. I was just digging around looking for an angle to see, if, if, you know, see what I could find. So two things. Number one, the teams around South Carolina that, that I would identify as the major recruiting rivals – of the Gamecocks, and, and tell me if I'm missing anybody here, but Clemson, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Georgia. Is there any major recruiting rival for them that I'm, I'm missing? I didn't really put Florida in there because they don't go head-to-head that much. Sounds right. I mean, I don't know, like NC State or something, but that that I think that covers it. And they don't look at NC State as a major right. recruiting rival, right. certainly. I mean, that that to, to the Gamecocks, NC State is, is beneath them, I, I think. So Clemson, in, the, in that, those four years that Beamer signed, Clemson was 21st on average. Georgia was 7th. Tennessee was 16th. North Carolina was 21st. Now, look, part of that is because South Carolina was, was recruiting fairly well. But there were also a lot of factors outside of South Carolina's control that had some of those programs recruiting at, at – a far less level than they are now. Clemson is not going to average the 21st rated recruiting class anytime over a four-year span in Shane Beamer's tenure, unless, I don't know, something absolutely crazy happens. Georgia averaging the number seven recruiting class is, is kind of also not that realistic. Tennessee 16th, all right, you know, maybe a little low for them, but not, not crazy off. North Carolina 21st, certainly better than that now that Mac Brown's there. So you did have this confluence of events where you had your four major recruiting rivals down a little bit when you were when you were in town and recruiting those four classes that you have largely built your reputation on in Columbia. Here's the bigger thing, though, and I'll, I'll, I'll throw it to you after this. So they talk about keeping the talent in South Carolina in the state, making sure you're signing the, the best players in the state of South Carolina. We can't let those guys leave. I'm here to tell you guys, Shane Beamer was in the state of, state of South Carolina for the best 
four years in recent memory as far as 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 far as talent, and it's not even close. So check this out. From the 2008 to the 2011 recruiting cycles, the state of South Carolina had 39 players in the top 350 nationally. Do you know how many they've had in the last four cycles? This is not the Gamecocks. This is the whole state, so including guys that Clemson would want if they want them. 14. 39 in the four years when Beamer was there, 14 in the last four years. And if you look at the little chart I put out on Twitter to tease the show tonight, the last four years aren't the anomaly. 28 to 2011, those were were the four-year anomaly. So even if he keeps the talent in state, he's not really going to approach those results that that he had in those couple magical years that are major outliers in in, in the program's history. In fact, this is pretty wild to me. Muschamp's last four classes, they rank 19th on average. Which is higher than the twenty fifth that that Beamer's average. So I, I hear a lot about how he recruited so well at South Carolina, and and the more I dig into this, I think he's a good recruiter, man. But I, I think a lot of that stuff that was going on there was was kind of an anomaly and, and not not sustainable. Yeah. So, um, agreed. Like I think that that's that's really interesting, and I think that that's. So like the 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 foundation, like the linchpins of his pitch here was, as I understand it, was like he's going to hire this incredible staff. He's going to recruit his his tail off, um, and he's going to be a you know manager, and and he's going to engage you know. So, but like the key things were like recruit and staff, and so that's the one like the you just sort of poked a little bit of a hole in the recruiting side of it. It's like all right, well, first of all, like, um. Is, is is Shane Beamer an ace recruiter? Maybe as a head coach, he'll he will be that. Uh, but what's the what's even the talent base going to be like? And now he's going to be recruit. It's got to go to North Carolina to recruit against Mac Brown. Now um, is his in state may not be quite what it was. George is crushing it down, you know, in, in the same division. So there's those obstacles. And then I, I contend that Sam Pittman deserves a commission on this hire here because Sam Pittman like his success is what allowed South Carolina to like sell this and all right, well look at Sam Pittman. He wasn't a coordinator, but he's look at what he's doing in the same conference. And so, but Sam Pittman is made, did in fact hire like a loaded staff. And as soon as that staff was announced, like everyone was like, well, that's a great staff. So I think it's going to be like, who is, who is Shane Beamer going to hire? I mean, Offensively, you've got to get somebody from Lincoln's tree, right? Like that, I wasn't in the room, but like, there's no way in my mind that he doesn't say we're yeah, going to run the Oklahoma offense, right? <laughs> yeah, got to be. Um, but even so, how many people are just running Lincoln Riley's system and doing what Lincoln Riley does with it? I don't know. It's just it'll be interesting to see what what he delivers on both sides of the football, um, and and because. That's that's critical. I mean, if you're going to pitch yourself as the the, the CEO, um, all right, attract some attract some strong hires. Who is on that defensive coaching tree? I, I wonder. I mean, like Alex Grinch has done, I would say, a decent job at Oklahoma turning around that defense. It's not a good defense yet, but it's it's better than it was uh, in in the later years of of uh, I almost said Mark Stoops of Mike Stoops, um, but. Do you get somebody off the Bud Foster tree from from those years that you spent 
with the Hokies. I, I don't actually recall who the D was, was the DC for Spurrier Ellis Johnson. Like he's, he's not going to come back. I, I think he's you know, far too old now. I would think, I, I don't know who the DC will be um, offensively. Yeah. Like you can say, I'm, I'm going to get, get and run the Lincoln Riley system and that's, that's fine. We'll, we'll see how well that works. Um, Lincoln Riley, you mentioned the, the, the rare head coach who actually is a good manager and a good play caller. Uh, Lincoln Riley fits that to a T. Yeah. So I'd be a little bit wary of getting somebody from the Lincoln Riley system unless they really know, you know, the, the Lincoln Riley system. For sure. Um, by the way, I, I agree with you. I, I do not think that you have to be a coordinator to um, to be a successful head coach. Just up the road from them, Dabo Swinney was not a coordinator. Ed Orgeron, for all the struggles they're having this year, I know, but last year they were arguably the best team in the history of the sport. Never been a coordinator. I'm sure there's some, some other good examples here of guys who have never been coordinators. You have to be able to manage people, but you do have to be able to hire some damn good coordinators if you do not have extensive experience running an offense or defense. It's interesting. You like there is probably the idea that like the the entryway into being a head coach is being a, a coordinator probably rules out a lot of incredibly qualified head coaches because their skill set may not serve them as well in the in the coordinator position. Um, I, I just especially in college, you know, maybe a little bit different in the NFL, though I think that there's still very much a leadership element and a you know a component of getting guys to buy in and, and, and cohesiveness and all that sort of stuff. But uh, particularly in the college game, I mean, you could you could make a case that you know, being a coordinator is, is practically like contrary to, to the traits that it takes to be a head coach. And so it's sort of interesting that you almost have to be a coordinator, to be a head coach, um, because who knows how many fantastic head coaches are just never getting the shot because they can't, because they're just not good coordinators. Two of the, two of the three guys to win multiple national championships in this century. So, or this millennia, the, the 2000s were not ever coordinators. Urban Meyer and Debo Swinney. Urban Meyer was never a coordinator. No, pretty sure he, he was. He was just, yeah, I think he was a receivers coach, and then he went to Bowling Green. Um, yeah, let me see. But he hired really good coordinators. Obviously, I mean, he 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 nailed it with 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 prime years Charlie Strong and Dan Mullen. So mm-hmm. you know, all right, man. We're gonna pause now for a little bit of sponsor reads. When we get back, we're gonna keep talking college football recruiting, the intersection of those two on Barton and Bud. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. 
As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. All right, speaking of a guy who actually is a coordinator uh, but is now looking for a job, just up the road, man, Kentucky lets go of Eddie Grant. And, and I, I was surprised to, to see this news. It, it, I don't know if there's something I'm missing here. I, I've been trying to wrap my, my brain around it a little bit. I, I were, were you shocked to see them let go of Eddie Grant? I, I thought he did an excellent job last year. And, you know, uh, man, short memories. I think Eddie Grant is one of the better – Offensive coordinators. I don't know where I don't know where I draw the line on this distinction or on this um, title. I'm trying to grant him right now. I, I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I thought he was one of the sort of better offensive coordinators in the SEC uh, because I don't. He hadn't been. He's not dealing with a good quarterback, an accurate quarterback. He's not dealing. You know, he's just he's got good running backs, a good offensive line, and with that, he's been able to fashion a lot of winning game plans. I mean, obviously, last year, 2019, with Lynn Bowden being the Wildcat single-wing quarterback was his his masterpiece because they had a huge season without a quarterback. Um, but, no, I, I was very surprised. It's a guy that's got a great reputation as a recruiter. Um, I had let – me, let me see if I can pull up the tweet. The tweet. Um, somebody – I, I kind of expressed my surprise – at that decision um, and some Kentucky fan hit me back and I thought this was at least like a fair attempt at trying to describe what it was, uh, what's, or what the problem is. He's done a remarkable job. Let me see if I pull this up. It's uh, from Brandon Luttrell. He's done a remarkable job with what he has to work with. The problem is he's the one in charge of overseeing what he has to work with. And that's all we had. When the offense doesn't look much different after five years of building something, something has to change. Um, and then it's actually someone else said something too. It's a situation where you're at the, this is from Lawrence Cody. Uh, it's a situation where you're at the point you can't recruit to what the results are. And those results are partially due to recruiting. You're sort of stuck and have to do something to get out of the endless cycle of not being able to pass the ball. Um, again, those are just Twitter people that hit me up, but like, I kind of understand that. Like, all right, you're now you have this reputation as this like offense that is stuck in the mud. But that's not Eddie Grant's fault, though. I don't think, unless you want to put it, put the recruiting side of it on him, it doesn't seem like that's his fault. Am I wrong? All right. So I, I get what they're saying, right? And, you know, we we covered this over the summer. Why we don't think we don't think college football is going to go back to a smash mouth trend unless there's a drastic rule change. Because right now, the 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 disincentives for throwing the football are just not there. Right, teams don't turn it over as often as they once did. They like, it used to be the whole like what 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 can happen on a pass play, and you know, two of them are bad or whatever whatever that saying was. I just butchered that. But Yes, and Kentucky is really bad though on the ball. They're uh, I just looked it up in in, uh, in Connolly's numbers. They are 111th in passing success rate, 112th in passing efficiency, 113th in passing explosiveness, and and that's very disappointing coming off last year when they basically were running a wide receiver at QB. But man, here's the thing: Mark Stoops' contract gets extended every year. Kentucky wins seven games. It's in there. 
They have mutually defined seven wins as success. He gets an automatic guaranteed one-year extension every time they win seven games. It's the smartest contract in sports. Kentucky defines what's success. Stoops agrees to it. If he hits it, he gets the extension. If he doesn't, he doesn't. And with Eddie Grand, four out of those five years, not obviously this one they didn't get seven wins, they've hit that. This year they're four and six in the SEC. If they played their normal schedule, let's just say they would have gone three and five, right? With with, with their their eight games, they'd usually go four four and zero oh or, or or three and one in the non conference. Kentucky would either already have seven wins, or they would be in a bowl game with a chance to hit seven wins, which means they're exactly on pace for where they would normally be. And can they throw the football? No. And is it concerning that? as other teams are throwing the ball a lot better now and you're still like really, really bad throwing the ball. Yeah, that that's, that's concerning. Certainly. But I think Eddie Grant's a hell of a recruiter. I, I highly doubt that he is doing things that are drastically outside the framework of what his head coach wants him to do. Right. I, I can't believe that he's like, I want to run all this. And Mark Stoops like, no, no, don't do that. And then he's like, screw it. I'm doing it. I, I can't do it. Like, that's just not how this stuff works, man. Like, I, he, with doing what he does, they have been successful under their own terms of defining success. It's just boring and really hard to watch. And my guess is they just got tired of it. Yeah, that, that's the strange thing to me about this whole thing is like, who's out there saying, man, Mark Stoops didn't get, didn't get it done this year. I feel like everyone is just sort of saying, well, Kentucky was okay. They had, they had, they had a kind of a decent year. They beat some teams. They lost some teams. This feels like a move that you make when you feel like you've got to shake things up. And so what is like, he's shaking things up to do what, like to either, I guess, to get more entertaining uh, or that, that would be what option one or option two is he's shaking things up because he thinks that like the a seven, a perennially seven wins isn't good enough. And he wants to be perennial nine wins. Um, but this is, this is actually even more interesting than the, like the Shane Beamer or whatever, he's got this sort of, uh, he could go anywhere with this hire. But Mark Stoops just got rid of a guy that at least I considered a pretty good offensive coordinator. And most of the offensive coordinators that are considered good offensive coordinators are head coaches. So the pool is, I mean, you know, other people are going to be out there fishing as well. The pool is going to be relatively small for like a guy that you can, Deem an upgrade from Eddie Grand. Where does where does Kentucky go? And I would assume he's got a pretty good idea. Otherwise, he wouldn't have made a move. But I'm fascinated in what he's got lined up to 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 solve the problem here. So look, if first of all, I, I think Mark Stoops is in absolutely prime Glenn Mason territory. And 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 for those of y'all at home who don't know, Glenn Mason territory is basically like when you're at a program, you take them to like their ceiling as a program and you bump up against that ceiling often. And then people forget that that is actually the ceiling of your program. And then they want more. And you're like, wait, wait, what guys, I'm maxing out this thing every single time. It's like, I'm on leg press and I'm, I'm pressing, I'm pressing the 400 on, on the cable thing. And, and you know, maybe you're Josh paid or something. And then you're like, Hey, give it 500, but there's no 500, right? Like, like <laughs> we have, we have the peg in the very maximum rung here. I think that, there's danger of that for Mark Stoops at Kentucky with the exception of this contract is so smart that they have defined what success should be. 
However, if they do want to try to get to eight, nine, ten wins more consistently, I, I get it, right? Their offense this year is 96th in SP+. The inability to throw, it's not they're just not bad at throwing. They are horrific at throwing the ball, and it was really bad last year. And it really, throwing the football, uh, they weren't that great the prior year either. I don't remember what they what they did in, in 2017, but they it is safe to say they've not thrown the ball well under Eddie Grant. It's not that they've always been a bad offense under Eddie Grant. In fact, some years they've been a, a you know pretty solid offense. But if they want to get to the next level, it, it does have to probably come via offense. So I I guess from that standpoint, I, I get it. But there's also downside risk here. This is not all no doubt upside. This offense could get worse. You could bring in a guy who's like, I'm going to pass the ball better. And the regression that you have running the ball outpaces whatever progression you have throwing it. This is not a guarantee, man. I don't think Eddie Grant sucks. No. Um, do you want to do you want to touch on uh, our boy Scott Satterfield? All right. So I I just I laughed at this <laughs> when, when I read Satterfield's comments, and then, and then Bart and I laughed at this before the thing, and, and uh, so I think we're just going to play this out and do it. So he didn't really pull a Fuente Baylor where. Everybody thought he had the job, and then he came back the next day. He's like, oh, everything's good. Let's take a photo of the staff and tweet it out, and everybody, some of us will smile in the office and some won't. But he definitely flirted with Tennessee or with, with South Carolina. I feel like you could say that the Louisville coach, Scott Satterfield here, um, he called it a conversation, not an interview. And in his statement, he cited that his parents live close to, uh, to, to South Carolina. So that, that's why he was, you know, willing to have a conversation. And uh, Louisville AD Vince, uh, Vince Tira says, uh, quote, as a longtime fan in the current AD at Louisville, I understand the history behind our fans' trust issue with football coaches, rightly so. I'm disappointed that Scott had a conversation with another program, but I'm comfortable that we have an agreeable path forward. It, How comfortable do you think happy. Vince is? Vince, is that, is, that, was, that, was a, uh, that was a dad's mad. That was like a dad, you know, picking you up at the party and you know you were out past curfew and he showed up and he's not gonna yell at you in front of everybody else but you know as soon as you get in that car you're about to have an earful um that that was it's it's funny first of all shout out to big spur once again our south carolina site they were the ones that broke the news that he interviewed there was an initial conversation with south carolina that leaked a week or so ago or maybe it was two weeks ago. And I, and as I understood it, that was, and Satterfield sort of alluded to it, that was not an interview. Um, and I think that that was reported by some folks as an interview, and I think that was a little bit inaccurate. But the one that the Big Spur reported on was the second time around. First one was just like, a, hey, let's get, I wanted to get on the phone, see if you're interested. And he was you know, kind of a, listen, uh, thanks for the call, whatever. Second one was somehow they got him interested, and that was like more a little more formal. And so, uh, he, you know, that's this is a program that just got burned by uh, Petrino pretty pretty bad in terms of just just kind of not being invested in this thing. And so, I think they're a little bit they're a little bit hesitant. They're a little bit tentative. They're a little they're they're, they're um, they're, you know, they, they've won scorned, right? Like, and so I think, uh, it's going to be a little bit interesting to see how that dynamic plays out here. 
in the the next the next year or so because Vince Tyree, their athletic director, is uh, I don't think he messes around either. You went the father son picking up from the party. My my mind went like crazy person you know from high school posting on Facebook about their about their their marriage. So you know, like I, I took it as all right. So <laughs> husband called it a drink, not a date, and cited that he was at his parents' house, which is close to there. And then the wife releases the statement as a long as a longtime wife and a current wife at household. I understand the history behind our trust issues with husband. Rightly so. I'm disappointed that husband had a drink, <laughs> not a date with another woman. However, I am comfortable that we have an agreeable path forward. Like nobody is comfortable with this. Okay. A, a marriage <laughs> yeah, contract. Exactly. Uh, yeah, dude, that, that's, that's, that's not, that's not bueno. Um, <laughs> that's the, Hey man, this is coaching carousel season. A lot of awkward conversations about to be had here moving forward. Indeed. All right. So speaking of Ford, we kind of get out of here on this. I, I was tweeting about about the the Tennessee offense during the game. Tennessee actually went the entire first quarter without throwing a single pass on a standard down. They basically only put quarterback Harrison Bailey uh, in terrible spots to throw the ball like third and eight consistently. Now, to open the second quarter brilliantly, Barton, they threw a pass on first down, and then they actually did it again. And they did it another time. drive? That was the scoring drive. He was four of four throwing the ball on first down for 28 yards and a, and a tutty. Yeah. Um, it's so, and then they kind of went back to man ball. It's so counterintuitive. Like the, the idea that we're going to protect our quarterback by running it the first two downs every series is, is you would, I guess you would think that that's what you do because, but the reality is give him a chance on first down and then you don't put him in pressure on third and, you know, look what happens. You let them loose a little bit and they score. You know what I really want? Like, I want to, I want the grades, the in, not the PFF grades. I want the internal grades that Tennessee gives its run game because they have got to think that they are like 95 Nebraska for them to run the ball. <laughs> like, it's not that great. Like, it'd actually probably be pretty damn good if they threw the ball a little bit more. So, no, not everybody, every team wouldn't play 10 man box against them. But like, I, what, what do you think their grades say? It's like, all right, perfect, excellent job. We'll execute this again. Fulmer, Fulmer signs off on it. You know, I, I don't get it, man. Like, Well, it's also, a, I think it's a mentality of like where they're at in the program. It feels like Tennessee goes into a game being like, all right, you know, what's the best way for us to, to run this clock out with the lead? Like, What's the best way for us to get to zeros on the clock with the lead instead of what's the best way for us to go win it? Um, they or to get the lead. Yeah, yeah. Just like it, it, it's it's it feels like it's all about this. Um, I don't know, like a very passive perspective, which is like again, it's counterintuitive because they're trying to like oh they're running the rock, but I feel like it's actually a pretty passive approach. Like it's 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 not assertive. It's not dictating. It's it is very much just sort of playing by the rules and just seeing if we can survive. And, and in fairness, like look they. They had a lot of COVID issues. They 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 had quarterbacks who weren't practicing, and and certainly not not a lot of cohesion going on there right now with that offense. And I wouldn't bring that up if it hadn't been a trend that happened almost every single game of the season to the point where I could write multiple articles about it because I just can't believe it keeps happening. Uh, but I, I want to talk about the other side of the ball here. Florida blows out Tennessee. Tennessee gets gets a backdoor cover. Uh, Condolences to those who had the Gators on, on the spread, uh, especially if you took it later in the week. But 
Did you see Florida's rushing success rate in this game? No, I didn't. And um, I barely saw them rush. That was my thing. Like, I don't even remember. Them. I don't even <laughs> remember them running the ball. But what, what was it? Seven uh, percent. <laughs> good thing they yeah. had pretty good throwing success rate. They had 14 runs for 31 yards. And man, that's just, I know Tennessee was trying to stop the run. And we know this because the broadcast crew kept talking about how Jeremy Pruitt told them the, the key to beating Florida is to stop the run. Uh, so they, they committed resources to stopping the run and they did do so. I mean, Florida just threw the ball all over them, so it really didn't matter. It, is this going to matter to you uh, against the Tide in Atlanta? Like, is is something like this happening? Is that a concern? Seven percent? Not really. To me, that's just who. Like, Florida's owned that all year long. Like, to me, they have they have. Dis- I mean, it is borderline air raid to me. I mean, I don't know. Like the the schematics of the the system are, are different, but I mean. They're just going to throw it. They're going to throw it to their backs. They're going to throw it on wheel routes. They're going to, I mean, they're going to, like, it's just a, it's a, it's a passing offense. I think it's a volume passing offense. I mean, Cal, in that game, Cal Trask, I, I want to say he had like 30 attempts in the first half. That could be wrong, but I remember looking up, like, maybe I want to say he was like 22 of 29 at one point, like late in the first half. And I was like, this is, this is just, this is just like Mike Leach stuff, basically. Yeah, pitch and catch. But but yeah. I, I don't. But I don't think it's as much because they have to as much. It is because they. That's what they're good at, and it's just like leaning into what they're good at, and uh, they are really good at it. They got they have a lot of guys that can catch the rock, uh, and they got a quarterback that's super accurate and just totally in control. So it doesn't bother me. I mean, Bama's going to have to like cover the entirety of the field. Um, and right now, the way that defensive line is playing, um, you know, why bother trying to run on those guys? Those guys are getting after right now. I, I agree. So you, you, you mentioned something that I want to hit on here before we get out of it. All the wheel routes, right? We've, we've now seen Florida get down against Georgia and have to, have to kind of empty their bag of tricks. And we've seen their offense, I don't say sputter, but just their offense didn't look, they didn't score a lot in the first 20 minutes against Tennessee. And Tennessee was doing some things defensively, which bothered the Gators a little bit. And, and I lumped Georgia and Tennessee in, in into both here because, A, both Georgia defense and Tennessee defense had a pretty good first 20 minutes against the Gators, and the Gators made adjustments and, and blew them out. But both those defenses are similar in terms of schematics to what Saban runs. How much do you think it matters that that – Florida has basically had to try to counter the counter and has successfully done so, but they've had to kind of tip their hand as to what they want to do to attack these different looks that, you know, Saban is certainly going to be very familiar with, you know, how those looks are attacked and, and now it's going to have, have different things to throw at them. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point. Um, I don't know. I mean, Florida's had success. Um, so, but yeah, like I, I do, you know, they, they, ran the same play against Georgia a bunch and to, to with, with a lot of success. And I mean, Tennessee, they, they just sort of um, autopiloted through that one, but you may be onto something, uh, but uh, you know, conversely, it's a defense that Florida seems to have, uh, be pretty comfortable attacking. 
No, it, it certainly is. I mean, it, that's a good point too. You, you could say Mullen has has seen this thing three times now, or hell, yeah. but this would be the fourth if you still count Muschamp as running a you know, saving style defense. I, I think there are certainly some principles there that are you know, that are, that are still pretty similar. So, uh, Jordan, sorry about all the Tennessee talk. Our, our, our producer is Jordan Maiden. He's a big time Tennessee fan. We were discussing where, where Eric, Eric Gray could go in the draft, and, and I was telling him about you know, kind of some of the numbers, and he was like, man, you're just depressing me going into the weekend. This is not cool. And and uh, so, Jordan, uh, <laughs> man, sorry about that. We did save Better for Better days ahead on Rocky Top. You'll get there. You feel a freeze Hanging coming? in there. Is it going to get chilly? It's not getting chilly this year, but the, f- the freeze might come. Winter might be coming next year. That's awesome. All right. I think it, uh, I think so. I, I mean, if not there, where? Auburn? Auburn. <laughs> All right, Jordan, leave that in. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, guys, questions on Apple Podcasts, drop them in for the five-star mailbag, and uh, we'll read those questions on Wednesday. All right. Good talk. See you next week. win your fantasy football league it starts right now the offseason is the best time to get ahead of the competition we'll help you win your league on the fantasy football today podcast part of cbs sports podcast network fantasy football today has three episodes every week following the latest news giving you early rankings early sleepers breakouts and busts so if you're a dedicated fantasy football manager check out the most dedicated podcast fantasy football today Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found.